real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So today is November 5th. 2019. Um, wow. And tomorrow will be my one year anniversary with Red State Talk Radio. So that's kind of exciting. Um, today we had a lot, um, drop really early in the morning. Uh, Lots to talk about and lots of things that we should be revisiting. And I feel that there's someone out there that either knows where I hide my stuff online, where I'm like talking in groups or is a mind reader. So I don't know if they're a listener or not, but I'm definitely following them. So obviously, um, we're in sync. And that's because we're going to talk about Iran a little bit. We're going to talk about the relationship we've had with Iran. This is important because here we go again, heading to South America. And and that's something we're going to talk in the second half of this show, uh, just um, to let you know. So what we can start uh, talking about is, you know, we all know Epstein didn't kill himself. Totally loving the memes, by the way. Totally. I am enjoying them. They're so smart, uh, the way people are putting them out. But here we have, um, you know, a reporter today that was exposed uh, to uh, be talking about Epstein and about uh, the case of Epstein and about his alleged, you know, suicide. And she looked really upset, you guys. She looked upset. Um, She was upset that... um, You know, uh, she did not break the story. That's basically it. She was not upset that her station didn't allow her to, um, you know, push out the story because um, it wasn't good enough. Right. They didn't allow her to put the story out because. The crown was upset. It implicated U.S. politicians. Uh, you know, they were worried about the backlash that they might receive for reporting these things. And, um, you know, they killed the story. And instead of her saying, you know, we could have saved so many children, so many faceless, nameless children that were victims at the hands of people like Jeffrey Epstein, Bill Clinton, so many other U.S. appointed officials, politicians, big wigs, money rollers, money ballers, uh, foreign and domestic, including royalty, could have been saved. So in the end, they were complacent with such activities. And to think that the, you know, head honcho of ABC is a father of three boys. How can a parent consider this okay? Consider that bearing a story like this is okay. So I'm going to play the clip from Project Veritas. Take a listen. I've had the story for three years. I've had this interview with Virginia Roberts. We would not put it on the air. Um, First of all, I was told, who's Jeffrey Epstein? No one knows who that is. This is a stupid story. Um, Then the palace found out that we had her whole allegations about Prince Andrew and threatened us a million different ways. Um, we were so afraid we wouldn't be able to interview Kate and Will that we that also quashed the story. 
and then um, and then Alan Dershowitz was also implicated in because of the planes. She told me everything. She had pictures. She had everything. She was in hiding for 12 years. We convinced her to come out. We convinced her to talk to us. Um, it was unbelievable what we had. Clinton. We had everything. I, I tried for three years to get it on to no avail, and now it's all coming out, and it's like these new revelations, and I freaking had all of it. I, I, I'm so pissed right now. Like every day, I get more and more pissed because I'm just like, oh my god, we it was um, what what we had was unreal. Other women backing it up. Hey, yep. Brad Edwards, the attorney, three years ago, saying like aunt like. We, there will come a day when we will realize Jeffrey Epstein was the most prolific pedophile this country has ever known. I had it all three years ago. Now, let me just put a hiatus here before it continues. I just wanted to say this is ABC that allowed a pedophile ring led by Jeffrey Epstein, led by perverts across the world, demonic, satanic, disgusting people that would make snuff films with little children, create movies with little children, innocent souls. They quashed that story, but yet... Kavanaugh was a big thing. I mean, Dr. Ford had so much proof, yet, you know, this girl had evidence. She had pictures. She had names. But, you know, Kavanaugh was an important thing. Oh, let's not forget the fact that the president awarded a medal to a dog. We need to debunk that real quick, right? This is what the mainstream media is. They're not the news. They are fake news. They are pushing to you what you are allowed by the masters, by them, by them, them, they tell them what you are allowed to know, what you are allowed to hear, to see, to do anything. They tell you, they narrate the story, and you're just one of those idiots that follows along in their script. Now, those that fall out of line, well, you know, we're all out on the fringe, but lately that fringe has grown to over 60 million Americans that aren't having it anymore. That silent majority that everyone keeps saying, and we'll talk about that too. But let's just take a listen to how ABC killed this story. And let's not forget, listen to what Amy's telling you. She's not upset that for over three years, children have been victim to these people. That over three years... She has been complacent, which she could have told someone else. She could have provided that information to someone else. I mean, me. As a reporter, I send letters. Now, does the AG bar get it? I don't know. I mean, from what we learned yesterday from Yovanovitch's, uh, you know, transcript, there's gatekeepers to the AG. So if you get one corrupt gatekeeper, guess what? Mm, he's not going to get your letter. He's not going to get the information. We'll also talk about that. But let's say to this, she's salty because she didn't break the story. She's not salty and she's not upset that so many people were victim afterwards. Let's continue this. Yes. Do you solemnly swear the testimony about to give away the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth to help you? Yes, I do. Um, first of all, I was told, who's Jeffrey Epstein? No one knows who that is. It was unbelievable what we had. Clinton, we had everything. Then the palace found out that we had her whole allegations about Prince Andrew and threatened us a million different ways. 
I've had the story for three years. I've had this interview with Virginia Roberts. We would not put it on the air. That's tape leaked to us by our latest network insider. This brave insider works at ABC News. ABC News anchorwoman Amy Robach is talking to her producer on a hot mic. She says she had the Jeffrey Epstein story three years ago, and her bosses at ABC News spiked it. And then, um, and then Alan Dershowitz was also implicated in it because of the planes. She told me everything. She had pictures. She had everything. She was in hiding for 12 years. We convinced her to come out. We convinced her to talk to us. Um, it was unbelievable what we had. Clinton. We had everything. I, I tried for three years to get it on to no avail, and now it's all coming out, and it's like these new revelations, and I freaking had all of it. I, I, I'm so pissed right now. Like every day, I get more and more pissed because I'm just like, oh my god, we it was um, what what we had was unreal. Our insider told us this tape was recorded earlier this year in late August, a day or so after this NPR report came out, sharply criticizing ABC News for not broadcasting the Robach. Jufrey interview years ago. ABC has episodically covered the scandal, yet the interview was never broadcast, and Jufrey says she was never told why. Other women backing it up. Hey, yep. Brad Edwards, the attorney, three years ago, saying like, Aunt, like, we there will come a day when we will realize Jeffrey Epstein was the most prolific pedophile this country has ever known. I had it all three years ago. Well, then I got a little concerned about why I couldn't get on. On the leaked insider tape, Amy Robach says she had the Jeffrey Epstein story three years prior, but her exclusive interview was shelved. Robach says in the leaked tape there was a lot of pressure from Buckingham Palace. According to NPR, the famed lawyer Alan Dershowitz also pressured the network to kill the story. Shortly before the interview was due to air, Harvard Emeritus Law Professor Alan Dershowitz called the network. He was also one of Epstein's lead defense attorneys. We wonder if the story was killed to protect the rich and powerful. It seems few were worried about protecting the women who may have been Jeffrey Epstein's victims. Remember, Epstein was still a free man three years ago. And just to be clear, the interview has still not aired. What is ABC News waiting for, or who are they still protecting? She told me everything. She had pictures. She had everything. She was in hiding for 12 years. We convinced her to come out. We convinced her to talk to us. Um, it was unbelievable what we had. Clinton. We had everything. Robach also has no doubt about what happened to Epstein when he finally was arrested and jailed. So, do I think he was killed? A hundred percent. Yes, I do. Because you want to, He made his whole living blackmailing people. There were a lot of men in those planes, a lot of men who visited that island, a lot of powerful men who came into that apartment. I knew immediately. <clears throat> and they made it seem as though he made that suicide attempt two weeks earlier, but his lawyers claimed that he was roughed up by his cellmate around the neck. That was all, like, to plant the seed and then... That's so why I really believe it. Like, really believe it. The last of the leaked tape has Robach talking about alleged Epstein conspirator Ghislaine Maxwell and how she should be very careful. He's got to have left evidence in the unexplained. Well, Ghislaine Maxwell, who I had all sorts of stuff on her, too. I love it. I'm like, it's so funny to hear everyone say her name. Because I'm like, oh, my God. Like, 
<laughs> and all the, and everyone's like, who's that? Who cares? I kept getting that. Who cares? Um, she knows everything. She knows. She knows. She should. She should be careful. Well, she was his. Like, she went out and recruited all of these girls. She should watch her back. Because if she goes, I mean, I'd have like security guards all around me. The brave insider who leaked this tape to us does not know who at ABC News spiked the story, but someone at ABC does. Our question: Who killed the Epstein story at ABC News, and why? Help us find out. James Goldston is the president of ABC News. What did he know, and when did he know it? Here's the landline number for ABC News President Goldston and his Twitter account. His phone number is three four seven two two seven 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 one zero, according to Project Veritas. And you can tag him on Twitter at eight at James Goldston. That's J A M E S G O L D S T O N. Think James Goldston is a father of three. What kind of parent can you? What kind of parent are you? to know that there are children suffering and you allow it to perpetuate for your pocket. See, my father had given me some advice when I was a kid. Really, he's, he was full of wisdom. He said, any money you make, right, um, doing things that are unrighteous will be money that have no roots. Now, having said that, I can tell you guys ever since I started reporting in my name or doing this radio show, it has limited uh, the abilities that I have uh, to, you know, obviously gain income. This is a true fact. Uh, but, you know, obviously I am a specialist in what I do, so it's really difficult to eliminate my full income. And, you know, I also have that research, but I don't really get paid from it, so that doesn't really count. But this is what they do. They think of money rather than the right thing, and that really sucks. You know, for example, like Matt Couch, his um, he lost his job, his marriage destroyed um, finding it difficult to get work because he's been reporting on Seth Rich. It happens to everyone. You just have to adapt to what they do. I mean, it's difficult to adapt. I'll say that. And I am someone that can adapt really easily. But these people will put money over what's the right thing to do. And that is a really big problem. A really big problem, these paid placements, as you would say, or quash stories for the sake of money. And, you know, we all think of the blaze in CRTV, right? Whatever you want to call it, as something righteous. But today I'm going to reveal to you how they killed a story. They not only killed it, they eliminated every trace of it. But, you know, (laughs) some people have files. uh, (laughs) And I'm going to be talking about that um, in the second half of this show. And this is related to Iran. So we always have to look at the bigger picture. I know, uh, you know, every single reporter, every single radio station, every single TV station, every single blogger, every single investigative journalist needs to eat. It's understandable. But you, there's just some things you shouldn't be doing because it corrupts your soul. I mean, where's your soul currency, right, guys? I mean, where is the soul currency? 
Where is it? These people have sold their souls to the devil to allow something like this to perpetuate when they knew they could have put pumped the brakes on it before. But, you know, three years ago, we had, uh, you know, the Clinton uh, campaign uh, going forward. Three years ago, you know, we had, uh, you know, a different environment where the deep state was feeling threatened, this cabal, and they, above all, were feeling threatened because we were smarter than them. The good guys were smarter than them, a lot smarter than them. And that really did hurt them. It did. And so today we find ourselves, okay, in this um, whistleblower debacle where everyone is pinning it on Anthony Eric Ciaramella. His first name is Anthony, guys. I'm just letting you know it's not Eric. Eric is his middle name. Uh, and we've talked about middle names before in the intelligence community. But anyway, now we have the target painted on this guy's back when we all know that there are players that are larger that fit the bill. And this guy is just, you know, a rank and file. But hey, what? Whatever, you know, if people are going to run with it, just run with it. But, you know, we're giving them a scapegoat. Anyway, I wanted to play a clip um, from uh, Jim Jordan uh, where he talks about wanting to listen uh, um, from the whistleblower. But I'm going to tell you after we listen to this clip from Yovanovitch's testimony to what Adam Schiff dropped, I'm going to tell you what their plan is because, you know, we heard Russia, 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 Russia. What if I told you they're going to wing this back, like as a clap back boomerang back to the Russia? And and you'll see where I'm going with this. Okay, so take a listen to what he says. So you're currently on oversight. There's yep. talk that you might be moved temporarily to the Intelligence uh, Committee yeah. so that you can question Adam Schiff potentially or other... Well, I don't know about <laughs> Schiff. Uh, we'll see. That That's a that's a call for Leader McCarthy. Why would they and, do that? Because you're a dog? Well, I mean, that, that's, again, that, that's a Kevin, uh, Leader McCarthy's call. If, if, if Kevin and, and, and uh, Ranking Member Nunes want that to happen, then that, that helps your team. I just want to help our team. I want to help the country see the truth here that President Trump didn't do anything wrong and what the Democrats are doing is partisan, it's unfair, and frankly, it's ridiculous, particularly the way they've went about with these secret meetings in the bunker in the basement right. of the Capitol. And yesterday, uh, the Democrats released partial transcripts, yeah. and it's going to be drip, drip, drip through this week to try to establish a narrative that the president's a bad guy. Mm-hmm. You know, this all got started, the Ukrainian thing, with this whistleblower. Yeah. Who told a story that was leaked that turned out not to be true. And now I know your side says we should hear from the whistleblower Heck for yeah. transparency. I mean, one of the ways you determine someone's credibility, determine if there's what their motivation is, what kind of biases they may have, is they need to be under oath, take stand up with their right under oath answering your questions. And and frankly, the position we have is the same position Adam Schiff had six weeks ago. Remember when the, when this first happened, Adam Schiff said we need to hear from the whistleblower. Right. And then six weeks later, he says, no, 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 we don't. One thing happened in that six-week time frame. Yeah. Namely, we learned Adam Schiff's staff had met with the whistleblower. Once that fact came out, oh, it suddenly changed their story. But th- this, the idea that we're going to impeach a president less than 12 months before the next election, based on an anonymous whistleblower with no firsthand knowledge, who has a bias against the president, who worked with Joe Biden, is ridiculous, and the fact that we don't get to question them under oath and determine what kind of what kind of biases they may have. Um, well, he's I think willing, they're gonna be one, one, he's one willing to answer written questions. Yeah, that's not going to fly. That is just not going to fly. He's uh, he Why? needs to come in because again, just what I what I said. You, you want to be able to look this individual in the eye, ask some questions, and see see how they respond in the moment, answering those important questions that I think not just members of Congress have, 
more importantly, the 63 million Americans and frankly all 300 million Americans who uh, the Democrats are trying to overturn uh, the election and, so, and who we voted for. The transcripts we saw yesterday that you lived, uh, Mike uh, McKinley, former top aide to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, and the former ambassador to the Ukraine, both yeah. said they were concerned, to paraphrase, about an operation led by Rudy Giuliani on political purposes to affect Ukrainian-American relations. Yeah. They were concerned. So you were there. I mean, what do you, what's your take yeah, on this? They're concerned, but remember, the president of the United States is the guy who's in charge, and he can have whomever he wants trying to move policy forward that's in the best interest of the country. It's been working like that for a very long time. Yeah, there's there's oftentimes people outside of the, the, the diplomatic corps actually will do diplomatic missions for the, for, the, for the president and for the commander in chief. That happens all the time. They didn't particularly like that, but it's the president's call. And we, we sort of had this kind of fundamental concern from, from some of the folks in the, in the, in the di- diplomatic area that somehow the unelected people tell the elected person what to do. That's not how it works in our great country. The president of the United States is the one we elected, we the people elected. He's the one who determines policy, and he's the one who can decide who's going to be ambassadors and who's going to, who's going to do the diplomatic missions that he thinks need to be done. How does all of this play out? Because realistically, you might want to question Adam Schiff, you might want to question the whistleblower, but it's up to the Democrats because yeah. Adam Schiff's in charge. So realistically, that's not going to happen. Right. So how does this all play out? Well, they passed this resolution last week. I, I, I said it tries to put a ribbon on a sham process, but when you do that, it's still a sham process. Adam Schiff is still in control. He gets to decide the witnesses. In fact, when they notice the first hearing, which could happen as early as next week, we have to provide a, a witness list. But Adam Schiff decides if they get to come or not. So he's in, he's in charge. I don't think he will testify. He should, but I don't think he will, obviously. Uh, and he still in, in, in right. determines who the witnesses are, who, what, how, how, they all, how this all operates. So let me, let me ask in the big picture, you could sit there and you could say the process is a problem and you have something to go with. You could say that these people are embedded in the state and they don't like the Trump and you have something to go with there. Or you could say, why was the president looking in the Ukraine? Was there a reason? And what was Hunter Biden doing? Couldn't find out for sure. So have you yeah. thought about getting on the offense and proving there was a reason for the president to be concerned yeah. instead of just looking at this and saying this is not impeachable? Well, there was certainly a reason. Ukraine has a, a long history of all kinds of corruption, one of the most corrupt nations on, on, on Senator Schumer told me two weeks ago that they had nothing to do with the 2016 uh, election. Their ambassador to the United States, Valerie Challey, writes an op-ed on, on uh, August 4th, 2016, criticizing the president. Their in- interior minister, Mr. Avakov, does all kinds of social media posts calling the president all kinds of terrible things. Mr. Avakov is still in the government of, new, of the new president, President Zelensky. So there, there was real concern clear back in 2016 when the president's running for office, justified concern that the right. president had with how Ukraine was, was operating. And the president, remember, He's not a big fan of foreign aid. Right. He's given millions of dollars to this to this uh, country. He'd like to know that Zelensky is the real deal. Turns out, right. I think he is. But the president was justified right. in, in being concerned about that. One uh, year from now is going to be the election, and what are Democrats going to be able to run on? Well, the president's going to have a strong record to run on. That's for sure. Uh, you know, cutting taxes, the lowest unemployment, fifty yeah, but years. But what are the Democrats going to be able to run on? Who knows? That's why I think they're uh, they're trying to go after the president. As yeah, Mr. Yeah. Green said, they, they want to they want to try to impeach him. So because they think he is going to get reelected. I do too. Real quick, if you want to help the people that are watching now in Middle America and Southern America, pass the USMCA. Heck yeah. Uh, I think every Republican would we'll vote for it. Most of the Democrats would choose to vote for it. It's only just put it for a vote, but just yeah. you demand it. Heck yeah. You're Jim Jordan. Well, I don't know about that, Brian. You just <laughs> demanded it on TV. Yeah, that'd be good. Thank you so much.
Okay, guys. So uh, basically, here we have a whistleblower complaint, supposedly that kicked off all of this stuff in regards to the Ukraine, all of this stuff in regards to corruption and their plan to try to impeach. Impeach, obviously, like I've said for almost a month now in the wrong committee. It's always done by the judiciary, but we'll get into that at another time again, because we've discussed this before. They're moving the goalpost as they go. Um, and before we head for break, I just wanted to say I saw that Amy Roback actually released a statement and she said, uh, in regards to her Epstein hot mic moment, as a journalist, the Epstein story continued to unfold last summer. I was caught in a private moment of frustration. I was upset that an important interview I had conducted with Virginia Roberts didn't air because we could not obtain sufficient corroborating evidence to meet ABC's editorial standards. But uh, Kavanaugh did and the dog with the metal did, right? And, um, my comments about Prince Andrews and her allegation that she had seen Bill Clinton and Epstein's private island were in reference to that of what she said. Oh, my gosh. Okay, we're going to continue a little bit on Epstein because we're going to hop back to that um, because I've just got something else on this right now. Oh, my gosh. Investments, ABC. Oh, my gosh. And they're bored. I'll see you all just after this break. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. Um, so I wanted to do an Epstein show um, tomorrow and talk more about it. But this uh, this statement is just horrible. Let me read it to you, all of it. Okay, so uh, as a journalist, this is Amy Roback from ABC, a statement that she gave to Project Veritas. As a journalist, as the Epstein story continued to unfold last summer, I was caught in a private moment of frustration. I was upset that an important interview I had conducted with Virginia Roberts didn't air because we could not obtain sufficient corroborating evidence to meet ABC's editorial standards about her allegations. Yet, Let's, let's, let's put this, let's parse this quickly. Yet, Dr. Ford couldn't remember where, when, what about Kavanaugh, but they put that story on there. They put insane women on there that couldn't really corroborate their story. That met the standards because it was against Trump. But this, that was, uh, uh, you know, Blowing the whistle on royalty, on U.S. and foreign dignitaries, right? On superstars, on everybody and their mother, even people that own media companies didn't meet the editorial standards. She said it herself. She had pictures. She recruited these girls. She knew this is disgusting, it is disgusting that this woman has sold her soul. She will be known as the person that apologizes to pedophiles. Listen why. My comments about Prince Andrew and her allegation that she has seen Bill Clinton on Epstein's private island were in reference to what Virginia Roberts said in an interview in 2015. Oh, they're not my words. I didn't really believe it. Uh, she kind of looked really believable right there. You know, it'll be funny if they fire her for that. You know, again, when you do a job or you make money and it causes pain to others, pain like evil, intentional, 
um, you know, to save your skin. Like, you know, you've seen those characters in the movie where they see the woman being raped and they walk away, where they see someone getting killed and they turn the other way. Or when you see those videos on Facebook or Twitter where someone's getting beat up and the person's taking a video rather than helping, you know, those kind of people. It tends to whip back at you. She says, I was referencing her allegations, not what ABC News had verified through our reporting. Stop. You were upset that you had this three years ago. You had everything. You said you had everything. Now you're backtracking. The interview itself, while I was disappointed it didn't air, again, I didn't get the glory of breaking the story. It's not about the children. Didn't meet our standards. In the years since, no one ever told me or the team to stop reporting on Jeffrey Epstein and we have continued to aggressively pursue this important story. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Guys, this is incredible. So, um, Scott Adams, I had told you, uh, had shared with me pictures of uh, Hillary Clinton's brother who, you know that ear part that nobody could get, you know, of the corpse? looked very similar to Hillary Clinton's brother. I'm just saying they look really, really alike. And we all know that Hillary Clinton's brother passed away. Um, uh, Jeffrey Epstein did not kill himself. I do not believe he is even dead. This is me. It doesn't mean it's true, right? I mean, I mean, I, I, I could know it as a fact. You wouldn't know, right? I'm <laughs> just saying. But I, in my eyes, he is not because he is too valuable to providing information. And we are starting to see that ever since he died, um, that we have a lot of networks being exposed, uh, low level networks, high level networks. Let's talk under armor. We've got more. We've got, uh, oil companies that are going to be coming, uh, to the forefront. Uh, we have, uh, Governments coming to the forefront or the way they exchange deals, uh, shell companies coming to the forefront, uh, cleaning companies in California. And remember, President Trump yesterday at his Lexington, Kentucky, which, by the way, that's where I went to school. Um, you know, I'm a wildcat, uh, said, hey, maybe they need to clean up the stuff that's pumping out of their storm drains in California. Uh, that's something very interesting uh, that he mentioned going out into the ocean. Uh, these are all going to be coming to the surface. And um, I have been working on something on the Epstein story uh, for a while now, um, just like I have with what I'm going to talk about today in regards to the media covering up stuff. Um and uh, I just wanted to kind of throw this parsing of her statement so we can see it for what it really is. Because sometimes when we read something, we're like, oh, you know, this is what she's saying. I'm pissed that I didn't get the glory of breaking the story. I'm not sorry for all those victims that happened. Our company vets every single piece of information except when it comes to Trump. Right. Because they jumped all over that dog story, didn't they? They bounced on it like, oh, my gosh, how we're getting with the White House to find out when he awarded this dog a medal. And it was like, what? You could clearly tell it's Photoshop. You know, all these alleged victims. ABC is fake, fake news, period. Uh, so she should be ashamed of herself completely. And if she does get fired, you know, she'll end up like Megyn Kelly. But Megyn Kelly killed her career on her own. This one, um, you know, it's just biting her in the butt because people are starting to see that 
Even the reporters don't believe the stuff they're reporting. They're just being told what to do. They're puppets. They're not investigative journalists. They're not looking for the story. They're not looking to tell you the truth. The only thing they're looking to do is line the pockets of their investors, line the pockets of their board of directors, line their pockets themselves. I mean, you know, girls got to eat, right? Uh, so, um, that's what this is telling us, if anything. If anything, this is telling, but also telling is how I'm the only one reporting on Yovanovitch's testimony, the most important thing that came out of there. I feel like, am I the only one doing it? I pinned the article to my Twitter profile. Um, it's super important that people pay attention to this. This is, again, reporting. It's titled, Yovanovitch, Self-Proclaimed Gatekeeper for Acting Attorney General Whitaker and A.G. Barr Violating the U.S.-Ukraine Treaty. So, specifically, her testimony, guys... Out of all of it in there, all this rubbish, everything, she broke the law. She not only broke the law, she pretended to have quasi-official capacity to make decisions on behalf of the attorney general. First of all, she's State Department. She's not Department of Justice. Let's get that straight. That is what what uh, unit she's attached to is the State Department Foreign Affairs Division and specifically the desk that she's working, right? So she can't sit there and determine who or what has access to our Justice Department, right? Especially when there is a treaty that clearly outlines that the only people, it clearly outlines that the Attorney General of the United States or any person designated by the Attorney General, right, and the Prosecutor General for the Ukraine and his staff can meet, Yet Yovanovitch didn't let them meet. And I'm going to tell you why this is so huge and how this is going undetected. Like everyone's more worried about this whistleblower and quid pro quo that didn't exist. And they're not looking at the crime that actually happened. And it's blowing my mind. You know, I've been speaking to reporters and I'm like, why aren't you reporting this? This is the most important thing. This woman, right, acted as the gatekeeper for our for the Department of Justice. She's not allowed to do that. You know, this is a faux impeachment investigation, we all know. And the Ukraine, I'm going to tell you, is just an excuse to whip it right back to Russia. I'm telling you, this is how it's going to circle back and, and revive the Russia investigation. And, you know, it's not going to work. Because if you look at her testimony, it was all garbage. And it was about her name being smeared. Okay. Her name being smeared. Now, people need to understand that all her testimony, she used the word, I think. I think I found the word, the statement, I think, when I searched the document, 196 times. So I'm going to say she used it over 150 times because people that were questioning her, well, may have said, I think. But it was 196 times she used the word, I think. She uh, made it clear that none of the stuff she was saying was stuff she knew firsthand. It was she heard it from someone and someone and someone and someone. And what she is saying is that she heard in November or December of 2018 that Giuliani was in the Ukraine. So 
and 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 there were questions being so she heard it from someone who heard it from someone she made that clear at least twice removed uh hearsay so her whole testimony is rubbish you can't even hold her accountable for lying because it's rubbish except you can hold her accountable for admitting to a crime an actual crime like no duh crime and no one is talking about it that is blowing my mind seditious conspiracy is the crime that she committed seditious conspiracy and i'll and i'll tell you how she did this so i'm going to read to you the transcript and you're going to listen to the words and we're going to break them down so uh, so the question doesn't say who asked her the question. It's probably Schiff. What do you see now? She said, well, that I'm no longer in the Ukraine. Obviously, guys, just so you know, she took a moment at some point, you know, to take, collect herself. So the question says, fair enough, but describe the evolution of your understanding as to how Mr. Luchenko was trying to hurt you in the U.S. So, okay, so listen to this. She claimed in her testimony that the prosecutor general was trying to cause harm to her in the United States. Okay. Are you paying attention that he was trying to cause harm to her in the United States? She starts, I think, and again, I'm getting this partly from conversations with people who may or may not know what really happened, as well as what has been in the media, both in Ukraine and here in the United States. So I'll tell you what I think. I can't say that. Wait, let me interrupt you right here. Is this some of your knowledge? Uh, is some of your knowledge based on Mr. Giuliani's statements himself? Oh, right. Let's just include the fact that Mr. Giuliani made statements. So you're using that, right? Because that's factual because everything you're telling me right now is freaking hearsay. So can we use Giuliani's statements in this? This is like how you groom someone to say what you want, right? This is how you get admissions too. But huh, this is how dumb they are. So she began talking about how Luchenko was horrible. He didn't help corruption. He didn't do his job. She was very critical of him, which by the way, she wasn't very critical of him until 2019. Let's be fair. Um, but you know, she was critical of him supposedly. And that, um, you know, uh, that he's not doing his job and he's horrible. And you know, what we have to think is that this woman is the ambassador representing the United States of America and the Ukraine. First of all, what gives her, the right to criticize the attorney general of another nation. So what is she saying that she was publicly criticizing him? Was she writing reports about him? Like who the hell does she think she is? Right? Like who is this Yovanovitch? Like she can sit there and, you know, determine what is, uh, you know, an accomplishment for a foreign nation and what's not. And she can criticize. She's an ambassador. She's a rep. Okay, she's a nobody. She's supposed to be um, representing foreign policy, the United States foreign policy, the America first foreign policy, not to sit there and smear or talk smack about some other countries attorney general, okay, where where they call them prosecutor general. They even made mention at the fact that the guy's not even a lawyer. So it didn't bother them when Luchenko was being placed because Joe Biden wanted him to be placed and how Joe Biden advocated that they changed the law so that he can be an attorney general without a degree in law because we covered that months ago, right? Remember that? Okay. So now 
We're going to go uh, back forward. Um, we're going to go back into her testimony, okay? And how she's saying that she was, you know, uh, you know, blasting him. She said, um, but. <laughs> Passive aggressive words. So here's, here's the statement that I want to read. And so we continue to encourage him. Encourage means like tell him that he's not doing his job. And I don't think he really appreciated. He wanted from the U.S. Embassy was for what, what he wanted from the U.S. Embassy was for us to set up meetings with the Attorney General, with the Director of the FBI, etc. And he would say, I have important information for them. Now, I'm going to stop right there before I continue. Do you remember when I told you how Marie Yovanovitch was not giving visas to Ukrainian legislative officials like people from the DOJ in the Ukraine and how in December and January and February and March they had applied and they themselves said, well, we weren't denied a visa. They just didn't give it to us. Uh, she would refuse to, to answer or do the process. Here's where she admits what she did. As perhaps many of you know, there are, you know, usual processes for that kind of thing. We don't have principal meet and, you know, the foreign principal springs new information that may or may not be valid to an American cabinet member. We just don't do that. B.S. So the FBI at an embassy, and I'm telling you this from, a, uh, how do they, <laughs> how do the democratic socialists say it? Um, speaking from a, a point of knowledge, Okay, because I know this for a fact. This was like my domain. The FBI, when they are in an embassy, they are there for local citizens that want to report crimes and for average citizens that want to report crimes. Not for the attorney general or their designated, appointed DOJ, Department of Justice or Ministry of Justice, as they call it in the Ukraine, officials that want to meet with officials of the Ministry of Justice, the equivalent DOJ in the United States of America. Maria Ivanovich took that into her thing saying, well, we have to make sure that um, it may be valid information. Oh, you mean you wanted to screen the information, right? She's telling you this, watch. And so we kept on encouraging him to do was meet with the uh, the legat, you know, the legal attache, the FBI at the embassy. That's precisely why we have the FBI in countries overseas to work with host country counterparts and get information. Uh, yes, that is one objective. So if we're investigating something in another country, the FBI at that embassy works with the counterparts to get that information. But their job is to get that information and pass it over to the DOJ on an active criminal investigation and or take complaints from average citizens that are not dignitaries. Right. So. Um, so she lied because she only said half their job and she said, uh, get information, whatever that information may be, develop cases, etc. Right. He didn't want to share that information. Of course he didn't because you were part of the information. The corrupt Obama administration was part of that information. And now I think I understand that that information was falsehoods about me. Falsehoods about her. What? The fact that Nellie Orr was there. The fact that you guys manufactured this Manafort stuff. The fact that you were working for Hillary Clinton. The fact that you were trying to create this Russia narrative and it bit you in the butt. Like what? Look. Bottom line is, she's, if you want to take it to the lower, dumber level, she was trying to play gatekeeper from what she hears is gossip, so that gossip doesn't get to her bosses. First of all, the DOJ isn't your boss, it's the State Department, okay? Now let's just get that straight. And the AG of the United States, right, has the right to meet 
with any person that the prosecutor general says. So if we actually visit the treaty with Ukraine on mutual legal assistance in criminal matters, right, Article 2 specifically says, Article 2 provides the establishment of central authorities and defines central authorities for the purposes of the treaty. For the United States, the central authority shall be the attorney general or a person designated by the attorney general. For Ukraine, the central authority will be the Ministry of Justice and the Office of the Prosecutor General. The article provides that the central authorities shall communicate directly with one another for the purposes of this treaty. So hold on a second. So right now, what we have is that Yovanovitch, you know, violated a treaty that has been in place, right? For 20 years, she broke the law. She gave herself an official capacity of gatekeeper, violating a treaty, and no one is talking about it. This is fake news. Even the right isn't talking about it. I'm the only one talking about it. It's like, all right, forget what she says about the whistleblower. Forget what she's starting to cry like Dr. Ford. Like when I was reading it, I could picture Dr. Ford's, you know, crying face. Like she was horrible. And I was like, oh my God, she just admitted to violating a 20 year standing treaty and appointing herself as gatekeeper for a cabinet member of the United States of America. That is not her duty. And yet nobody is talking about it. This is the biggest, biggest thing that was dropped yesterday. And nobody talked about it. I was, and nobody is still talking about it. Like, my article has been sitting there and people are just not getting it. This is what I've been saying about the news being quashed. She literally, she literally admitted to a crime. She committed a seditious conspiracy because there were one or more people, which is the people within the embassy that deterred the people of the Ministry of Justice to get in. So it seems that Marie assumed the gatekeeper role for former acting Attorney General Whitaker and Attorney General Barr, claiming that the FBI in the Ukraine would have to screen the information, literally screen it, before they would even consider communicating with the acting Attorney General and or Attorney General Barr. Like this is, uh, in fact, it's preventing, hindering and delaying the execution of the law of the United States. The treaty is con- this this violation of the treaty is literally considered seditious activity. And that would include all individuals at the embassy involved with this. Why is this crime not being talked about? This is horrific. We can actually prosecute her. She's saying she's been fired for retaliation because of rubbish. Why are we not talking about that? This is a smoking gun and everyone is sitting on their hands. This should be on every news channel. This should be in every publication, left or right. She appointed herself to be the information screener. Who does she think she is? I am... You know, I was going to talk about this in the second half, but I'm just so irate because nobody is talking about it. You know, everyone's like, oh, he's just drip, drip, drip information, blah, blah, blah. No. See, here's the thing. Uh, back in the day, in 2018, just so you know, March of 2018, when Mueller was still appointed, everyone on the left, senators were writing letters saying that, oh, the Ukraine's not complying with information that we need, you know, for the Mueller investigation. And here is a quote. 
Okay. I'm going to read you two quotes. Okay. One is from Deputy Prosecutor General of the Ukraine, Yevhen Yanin, and he said, neither the FBI nor Robert Mueller turned to the Prosecutor General's office with any request for legal assistance in connection with the Manafort case. And then you have to wonder, well, why wouldn't they? I thought that, you know, Russia, Russia, Russia. Why would Mueller not touch the Ukraine? Okay. And now our source, um, uh, another source that I cited was Ukrainian One News Channel. And they said, we, we know Mueller didn't request any information. So we assume that the FBI and the Ukraine had been given instructions to review materials to see if they, uh, interested Mueller and then discuss with the Department of Justice. It was just odd since the materials were about, uh, about the Ukraine and not Russia. What? Like, the materials that they were screening were about Ukraine and not Russia. Like, that is what I got from that. And I was kind of like, mm, this is from like March 2018, okay? And so the local news channel was actually referring to this New York Times article that said that the Senate Democrats were complaining that the DOJ uh, in the Ukraine, called the Ministry of Justice, right, were not working with Mueller. And it turned out that that was rubbish. Now, a House Democrat staffer, and we have a few of these sources, said the testimony of those representative Adam Schiff is calling forward is being coordinated. They are all exchanging communication between each other. I think it's wrong, but who do you tell? We all have bills to pay and all need our jobs. Gosh darn it. You know, this is the repeating theme. Everyone is so worried about, you know, keeping their lights on. You know, if you're a good person and you're doing good, you know, you never know. You might win the lottery. You never know. Someone might just send you a big fat check. That's the way it works. God works in mysterious ways. When people do good, it comes back to them. It may not come immediately. I mean, you know, I know from my research, um, you know, my, you know, from the medical research that I've done, and now even in my reporting, it doesn't really come back to me at all. But it'll come at some point, right, guys? I mean, it'll totally come because that's what the try and test is, right? To carry crosses, right? And right now, um, you know, this staffer, along with other staffers that I know, you know, are paid peanuts to be in the house, and they have to put up with this stuff and they have to keep their mouth shut or else they'll never get another job or else they'll be blacklisted and they're worried about it. Why are we allowing evil to control good? Why are we allowing evil to fester? And one would say, well, Tori, maybe you're in a better position, you know, to be able to not have, you know, your full potential and income, not this. No, I'm not. But you know, you make a dues, you guys, that's the way it is. All of us make a do. We have to do what we can because if we all work together, Everybody works together. The truth comes out, good prevails, and evil creeps back into the darkness where they freaking belong. That is how it works. And now we are getting the testimony of Yovanovitch, which is a legitimate crime, an admitted crime, and no one is talking about it. That is a very big deal. You think the Epstein killing the story was one thing? What about this? This just happened yesterday, and no one's talking about it. They're just talking about her being salty, that he may or may not be gossiping about her. Like, what? I'll see you all just after this break. Real news. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So um, in the first hour, I talked a little bit about Yovanovitch, and we're going to see more of this stuff coming out. But I urge all of you to pay attention to uh, the crimes that they admit to and their masked as something else, kind of like Yovanovitch, like this. This should be tried. Like, I am... 
I've been writing a letter to the Department of Justice that I'm probably going to mail tomorrow. Oh, well, actually, I got stamped, so I really don't have to go anywhere to mail it. But <laughs> uh, to tell them, hey, you know, I feel like, you know, she committed a crime. We need to, like, do something about this. And I'm upset that she represented, you know, my Department of Justice without authority to do so and screen information. So uh, that's one. And then the other thing that I need you guys to pay attention to is these selected curated excerpts <laughs> that Adam Schiff puts together because that damning information, that statement where she admitted to giving herself a quasi-official status with no authority to do so, and that is clearly outlined in Article 2 of the Ukraine-U.S. Treaty in regards to criminal investigations and communications. Um, he put it forward like, oh, you know, they were trying to go after her. They were trying to hurt her. Wasn't it the left and the right that, you know, in 2017 were reporting how the Ukraine was trying to help Hillary Clinton? Now they're all suddenly against them? Come on, man. You got you got to pick. You can't be both. You can't be friends and not friends. But I'll tell you how friendships develop. Okay, because this is going to be interesting. So we're going to talk about something no one's talked about. It's old news, but it is so new news right now. So I'm going to remind you guys that um, back a few years ago in 2015, um, well, it was actually 20, 2011, right? Was it? Oh, I'm trying to think. Wait. Um, oh. You know, I'm not one of those uh, radio show hosts that's read off paper because I actually know my stuff. <laughs> so I'm trying to remember. I think it was 2010. So there was a, a jihadi, Ibrahim Alkozi, right? He used to be in Guantanamo. He actually pled guilty in 2010 to charges of conspiracy and material report of terrorism. Barack Hussein Obama let him go. Uh, yeah, it was 2012. That's it. So 2012 that he let him go. Um, uh, July of 2012. So right before the people of the United States of America <laughs> reelected this clown, I'm just saying, uh, he released a terrorist. Now, this terrorist was actually released to Colombia. Uh, people are saying that he was transferred to his home in Sudan. I'm telling you he went to Colombia because then they found him in 2014 in Turkey. And then from Turkey, he continued on and he went to Yemen. He is now the Al-Qaeda leader in Yemen. Um, and he is leading the forces also um, commanding Al-Qaeda within, um, you know, the Micronesia area. Uh, micro, why do I keep saying Micronesia? Well, it's Micronesia, so it's small Asia, Middle East, Turkey, Syria, Iran area, and um, also commands Al-Shabaab. Okay, so a Micronesia, wrong word. It's called small Asia. Uh, that is the term that they use in foreign countries. We don't have that in our language, so we just call it the Middle East. Anyway, um, because it's a very specific part of the Middle East, let me just say that, which includes um, Turkey, Iran, and Syria, just so you know. That is a very specific region uh, historically, so this is why it has its own name. So anyway, um, he actually uh, left and then after he was released in 2015, people found documentation, uh, you know, upon, uh, you know, Obama's last year in about, uh, you know, how he was a threat. So the uh, Joint uh, Task Force, 
universe of Guantanamo threat assessment had him as a very high threat. And that assessment was done in November of um, uh, 27. So 2007, they said that he is a high risk to the U.S. and its allies. Yet Barack Hussein Obama let him go. And I'll tell you why this is important. So this guy, Cozy, um, took over Yemen. And he led Al-Qaeda there. But he also helped facilitate uh, fueling, um, providing, uh, he was like an intermediary, if I would like to say, intermediary on transferring um, nuclear fuel to Iran. Now, what's weird is, is that this nuclear fuel to Iran was done through Argentina, now, this is why we had like this big overhaul of Argentina. They removed, uh, you know, Cristina Fernandez de Krishna. And, um, you know, because she put that out there that Iran was being, um, provided nuclear fuel by Argentina and it was Akosi who was helping make that happen. Now, Yemen is in the news today, um, and that was pretty interesting because I wasn't expecting that to happen. So this is where we're talking today before we step into the past of Yemen. And remember, months and months ago, I would have to say a year ago. Oh, I can actually say that now. Almost a year ago, we talked about the relationship that Saudi Arabia has with Yemen and Oman. I've explained to you that the extension of the pipelines that the European Union has funded to be then going up to Turkey is the main fallout that they have with the Houthis or whatever you want to call them. They're all just terrorists, okay? We're not going to talk about the factions because for some reason they create these wannabe factions that aren't really factions. It's the people of Yemen against the European globalist interest. Let's just put it that way. So like I've said, Saudi Arabia has been fighting them because they're like, look, if you do this, then you can siphon oil from our stuff. And then that gives, you know, the European Union more power to take our stuff. And we don't got a lot of years of oil, man. We don't have a lot of stuff. You know, it's South America that's got more oil than all of us around the world put together. And, you know, Venezuela's got it. And so we need to, like, focus. We can't have this happening. You guys need to play along. And apparently today it was announced by the president that a deal has been, you know, done and um, kind of brokered by the Saudis. And this is them saying, yo, let's stick together this isn't a bad thing. We're all going to be independent. I want Yemen to succeed. And that is exactly what Saudi Arabia wants. Because when their oil is done, they're going to have to rely on neighboring trade, kind of like we rely on the Canadians. I mean, you know, for like maple syrup and stuff. Like we have to like, <laughs> that sounds so lame. They have more to offer. I'm just saying, just trying to be funny. That was humor. Kind of like we give them hamburgers. No, because they have cows. What do we have here? Cracker Jacks. There we go. Cracker Jacks. So it's like you rely on your neighbor to sustain yourself when your niche of your international exports goes. So, you know, they need this deal. The, the, the border of Saudi Arabia and Yemen needs to be peaceful because they need to be able to trade when the oil runs out in 30 years. You can't just like, I hate you, I hate you, and then it comes to it, then you're both broke and you're both dry and you both have nothing in the economy. Then all you have is chaos and you turn out to be some place that looks like San Francisco with poop and needles everywhere and people killing each other in Chicago, you know, stuff like that. That's what happens when there's poverty, right? When uh, poverty is allowed to run rampant, you have, you know, uncontrollable chaos. So this is why this deal was brokered. Now, I just wanted to tell you guys, this deal was brokered because, uh, you know, 
Al-Khosi, right, Ibrahim, has, am I allowed to say that? Okay, let's just say that this leads back to the Argent, uh, to Argentina. So, having said that, I'm going to play a clip and, uh, you know, I'll translate mm, what is being said in, um, from Spanish to English. So, this is the Argentinian president, Cristina Fernandez. Okay? She is at the UN, um, claiming that Gary Samor, um, who, just so you guys know, you probably don't know this name, Gary Samor was working in the Obama White House between 2009 and 2013. He was working in a newly created position that no longer exists, um, but is considered the Department of Energy or Secretary of Energy now for some reason. He His job was called White House Coordinator of Arms Control and Weapons of Mass Destruction. So what was weapons of mass destruction? Oh, yeah, that's right. That's a term that was coined when Bush was telling us all about yellow cake uranium. And um, turns out his successor was some chick named Elizabeth Sherwood Randall that was uh, the United, Deputy, United States Deputy Secretary of Energy and and then, um, you know, um, President Trump appointed the United States Deputy Secretary of Energy as um, Dan Boulet. So <sighs> I'm just saying this was a newly created position. This woman was at the U.N. You know, she was removed shortly after. But she says that she accused Obama's envoy in regards to nuclear energy and weapons of mass destruction, asking her country to provide nuclear fuel to Iran. Take a listen. Hold on. Let me get this going. Simple. In the year 2010, Gary Seymour so she says it's simply like this, like in 2010, um, Gary Seymour uh, visited Argentina. So he was the White House top nuclear guy. Okay, hold on. So um, she said that um, he he came to Argentina uh, with like one primary objective under the control of the IEA. Do you guys uh, and obviously um, just to elaborate, it's the international organization um, in the field of like organizing nuclear weapons, weapons in general and nuclear regulation. How's that? Um, so that's basically what it is. So. Uh, let me continue. Okay. So as a first democratic government, Argentina in 1987 had supplied nuclear fuel for the reactor known as Tehran was the nuclear reactor. So wait a minute. So Argentina was fueling a nuclear reactor in Tehran in Iran and Gary Seymour had, you know, told that to the foreign relations people. Um, 
uh, Hector Timmerman um, claimed so he claimed that there were already negotiations going on with the Islamic Republic of Iran, um, you know, that they're discussing it. What? Oh my God. Okay. So guys, she says literally, okay, that the reactor, um, that they were, you know, talking about and they were negotiating was to stop with uranium enrichment. I explained to you in another show what uranium enrichment is. Uh, remember, I always, uh, upload my live shows. Um, so they asked them to cease the negotiations they were talking about was like stopping the uranium enrichment activities, um, because Iran, uh, had claimed it needed to enrich uh, you know, this nuclear reactor with more and, you know, that was uh, causing them a problem with the Iran nuclear deal. So that's when the U.S. went to Argentina. Oh, that makes total, total sense. Okay. Que proveyéramos de combustible nuclear a la República Islámica de Irán. No estaba Rojani todavía. She said they had approached Argentina to provide nuclear fuel to the Islamic Republic of Iran. And she's like, you know, just so you know, Rouhani wasn't in office then. Wow. So the negotiations were started under Ahmadinejad's administration before Rouhani. They had started those negotiations. Wow. El canciller me vino a ver. Y me manifestó la propuesta que le habían traído. Le había adelantado al enviado de la Casa Blanca que... What? So she says that um, she was approached by her minister of foreign affairs and relayed like um, what Samor had brought to her from the White House as a proposal of like, uh, like what to do like her orders and that um wow that is incredible and that the envoy so he said that it would be hard to like deliver because it would be a difficult situation um between Argentina and Iran this is important because of the terrorist attack because of the terrorist attack that they did in 1994. Oh, wow. And what the judge in Argentina had ruled. Okay. Oh, because the Argentinian court had prosecuted five Iranian citizens for a terrorist attack in 1994. So the White House, Obama's White House said, I know it's going to be difficult for you guys to provide them nuclear fuel and stuff, but just go do it. So she said, just so you know, this is like something that came to us, um, you know, uh, that, um, you know, has been going on for years. Like they've been, we've been contributing to this like process of negotiating nuclear fuel. She's talking from 1987, you guys. Oh my God. All these corrupt clowns have been doing this for like forever. They have been creating this monster called Iran and scaring us. Right. And they've been doing it. So 
Um, so she's saying this has been ongoing. Ya estaba en el año 2010. She says, but it's 2010 now. So she says that her minister of foreign affairs came in that, you know, to discuss these things. And that he urged her, like, you know, that we're being urged to sign and agree to help this stuff because we should all be together, um, you know, working together is basically what he was saying against such activities. Lograr el objetivo de la no proliferación nuclear. Ustedes saben que Argentina... So that nuclear energy is not pro proliferated, so it's not constantly being done. Okay. Integra el selecto club de países productores de energía nuclear, pero que también... So she's saying that there's like this um this club, this secret club where countries it's a, it's like just a few like select people like elite clubs that are allowed people are allowed to create nuclear energy or play with nuclear warheads. Somos líderes en materia de no proliferación, por lo tanto para nosotros la no proliferación nuclear So she says in there and all these nations are the ones that get together and decide that we shouldn't like be perpetuating, uh, you know, things and that, um, no nuclear happenings is also a consideration here. Es una de she says that's also an interest. Aceptaríamos proveer el combustible porque era propiedad de la Argentina desde el año 87 y teníamos además. She says that she told her minister of foreign affairs to tell Gary Seymour, the Obama White House envoy, that it is in Argentina's hands. This uh, predicament has been in Argentina's hands since 1987 and that, um, you know, they would honor that. But she said that in order to do this, you know, and for us to agree to do this and fuel Iran and give Iran nuclear fuel, we need this in writing. Like we need an agreement, even though, you know, the ball's been in our court and we've been doing it. We're more than happy to continue doing this because you say it's been happening and because you need it to happen. But we need it in writing, she said. So that is a message she gave to the Obama White House. Transmitido. Creo que fue la última vez luego de esa comunicación que nuestro canciller vio a Gary Seymour. And, you know, after that message was conveyed to uh, Gary Seymour, who was Barack Hussein Obama's envoy, coming down to Argentina telling him we need to fuel Iran, right? We're talking, you know, 2010, right? We're talking 2010. That's the last time Gary Seymour came and was seen by them. That's incredible, you guys. Think about it. Barack Hussein Obama has been funding Iran with nuclear fuel. Where have you heard that? Well, it was on the news a little bit. It was back in 2015 when she said it because they had to cover it because it was all over, you know, this whole, you know, um, uh, UN conference. But here's the thing. The Blaze wrote an article about it and it's gone. It's like, whoop, error, 404. Now, she... um 
attempted to, you know, have a liaised, you know, with the Obama administration and said, listen, if we're going to be pointed out as the people funding or fueling nuclear fuel, giving Iran nuclear fuel, then we need this stuff in writing that you're asking us to do this. That since we're one of the select nations, that you're asking us to fuel Iran. OK, because we don't want 20 years from now, people to say that we're terrorists and we're funding terrorism. We need to make sure we have everything here. But apparently the minute she asked, let's put the pen to the paper, you know, Obama disappeared just like that. And she called him out. Poor woman disappeared after that. Right. Um, but the weird thing is, is that she called him out because they were abandoned, if you remember, back then. Um, some more actually had provided a statement to the blaze outlining the proposed nuclear deal. And um, I want to read this to you. He said, story is true that I went to Buenos Aires in August of 2009 to ask the foreign minister Timmerman if Argentina would be willing to manufacture fresh fuel for the Tehran research reactor in exchange for Iran shipping most of its stockpile of low rich uranium to Russia. Wait, stop. Hold on. Ooh, put the brakes. Wait a minute. What? So we're going to be so 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 the U.S. asked Argentina right to manufacture fresh fuel to give to Iran for their TRR. Right. And, you know, the the Tehran research reactor. And in exchange, Iran will be sending most of their enriched uranium to Russia. Wait a minute. I thought Russia was our enemy. Didn't they try to get, you know, uh, Hillary Clinton elected? Right. Trump elected. Are you kidding? They were going to lose all of this good deal stuff. This uranium. Listen to this. So as I recall, Minister Timmerman told me in Argentina could not participate in the project because of Iran's refusal to cooperate with the AMIA investigation. That was that 1994 attack um, as well um, that was included. But oh, well, he said, I said, I understood the political sensitivities and accepted that Argentina could not be part. Part of the project. Whoa, did she call him out? Um, we subsequently approached France, which agreed to manufacture fuel for the Tehran research reactor. Wait a minute. So are you telling us we know now that France is fueling the Tehran nuclear reactor research program, whatever you want to call it? Wait a minute. Hold your horses. Is that true? Mm-hmm. So in October 2009, Iran agreed to the deal. Iran would ship 1,200 kilograms of low-rich uranium hexafluoride, less than 5%, to Russia. And Russia would further enrich the uranium to 19.5% and ship it to France for fabrication into research reactor fuel, which would be then shipped to Iran. What? So from Washington's standpoint, the objective of the agreement was to remove most of Iran's low-enriched uranium stockpile at the time and therefore make it more difficult for Iran to produce weapons of great uranium. In the end, the Supreme Leader Khamenei rejected the Tehran research reactor agreement and the deal fell through. Iran's rejection of the deal led directly to President Obama deciding to increase economic and political pressure on Tehran, which produced the UNCSC resolution. Wait a minute. So <laughs> they strong-armed Iran into the Iran nuclear deal that gave them absolutely nothing. 
Are you listening to this? Oh my gosh. I'm not believing this. Like this is crazy stuff. See, when you visit the past, how many things just, you're just like click, 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 click. What is going on? This is going to be coming to the forefront because see, Iran is on the table. And we should talk about the Paris Climate Agreement, because what if I told you this stuff is kind of linked? You'd be like, yep, not surprised, Um, because almost everything is linked with them. So this is something that we should kind of revisit. I um, am talking about it today because I'm going to be putting that up uh, shortly. Like I said, I saw it's either people are listening to the back chatter, uh, you know, in the dark corners of foggy bottom or the white house and stuff like this is leaking out on the internet or people are reading people's mind or maybe there's more people that time travel or have crystal balls under their desk who knows i'll see you guys just after this break we will parse through this just a little bit more funny um, microphones don't like working today because I was just going to say that we're going to play a little, little clip of President Barack Hussein Obama, who's soon going to be impeached for the Iran nuclear deal being based on verification and not trust. This is shortly before he was ousted by the previous um, Argentinian president, Miss Cristina, who so rightfully called him out. Oh, and lurking behind him in this video that you can't see, but I am seeing, is Joe Biden, who supported that. So that means that Joe Biden supported providing enriched uranium to Russia in fueling Iran's nuclear reactor. Now that's something he can run on, right? Because America negotiated from a position of strength and principle, we have stopped the spread of nuclear weapons in this region. Because of this deal, the international community will be able to verify that the Islamic Republic of Iran will not develop a nuclear weapon. This deal meets every single one of the bottom lines that we established when we achieved a framework earlier this spring. Every pathway to a nuclear weapon is cut off. And the inspection and transparency regime necessary to verify that objective will be put in place. Because of this deal, Iran will not produce the highly enriched uranium and weapons-grade plutonium that form the raw materials necessary for a nuclear bomb. Because of this deal, Iran will remove two-thirds of its installed centrifuges the machines necessary to produce highly enriched uranium for a bomb and store them under constant international supervision. Iran will not use its advanced centrifuges to produce enriched uranium for the next decade. Iran will also get rid of 98% of its stockpile of enriched uranium. To put that in perspective, Iran currently has a stockpile that could produce up to 10 nuclear weapons. Because of this deal, that stockpile will be reduced to a fraction of what would be required for a single weapon. This stockpile limitation will last for 15 years. Because of this deal, Iran will modify the core of its reactor in Iraq so that it will not produce weapons-grade plutonium. And it has agreed to ship the spent fuel from the reactor out of the country for the lifetime of the reactor. For at least the next 15 years, Iran will not build any new heavy water reactors. Because of this deal, we will, for the first time, be in a position to verify all of these commitments. That means this deal is not built on trust. 
It is built on verification. Inspectors will have 24-7 access to Iran's key nuclear facilities. Iran will have access to Iran's entire nuclear supply chain, its uranium mines and mills, its conversion facility, and its centrifuge manufacturing and storage facilities. This ensures that Iran will not be able to divert materials from known facilities to covert ones. You mean like Russia? Because that's what they were supposed to be doing? And that we're giving them nuclear fuel, right? And, you know, you have to wonder, she made this announcement in the fall of 2015, right? The president of Argentina, she was removed, and the new president of Argentina was installed. Total coincidence, right, that he made this statement in July of 2015, and she called him to the carpet, calling this Iran nuclear deal a sham, how they are using to power and fuel select people with nuclear weapons. So, you know, the title of this article should be Biden helped give nuclear weapons to Russia because that's exactly what he did as vice president. And they bullied their way into that deal because the question would be, is Argentina now providing nuclear fuel to Russia? Is this why the president of the United States pulled out of the Iran nuclear deal? And is this why during the Argentina G20 summit, uh, the IMF cozied up to Argentina? See, this is something we need to be paying attention to. The facts. Hmm. Russia, Russia, Russia. And you think Russia would want President Trump to be president and not Hillary when they're getting all the uranium they need through this unspoken deal? I wonder if the new president of Argentina has a signed agreement if he's sending nuclear fuel to Iran. Hmm. That's a very good question. I mean, Uranium One, all this nuclear talk, Amy Klobuchar, all this nuclear talk. You know, it makes me wonder, do you think that maybe instead of giving the nuclear stuff all to Russia, that maybe the Ukraine is getting it? Because there's some really weird stuff. Amy Klobuchar is now, her company has a master agreement to be providing nuclear energy. Guess where? To the Ukraine. On behalf of who? The United States? How are we doing this? Are we doing this? These are all questions we need to be asking the media to talk about because they're obviously not doing their job. And we saw that from the killing of the Epstein story and how it wasn't verified enough, but debunking the dog with the metal was. But let's not talk about nuclear weapons, weapons of mass destruction that the European Union and Barack Hussein Obama had agreed on how to shuffle and shuffle. I mean, Seymour said it himself. No wonder the blaze, which everyone suddenly thinks is a right-wing outlet, deleted all that information. But there are people that have that information, people like me, people somewhere else. I mean, think about it. Um, she talks about it, and a month later, she's fired. She's no longer president, new president. Maybe he did the deal. Maybe that's why she never saw Seymour again. Hmm? Because they removed her. How dare you go up against all these countries? How dare you? We are going to remove you. You watch the power that we have. We control everyone. Everyone except for 
the American voter because the American voter spoke in 2016 and will be speaking again in 2020 and 2024. And did you hear president said, who knows, maybe I'll last 17 years. We agree. Maybe you can last 17 years. We'd like that because seditious conspiracies, treason, all of that needs to be laid out all out in the open so everyone can see it. This is horrible. The cover-ups that are happening, the guys, you know, at this day and age, it's 2019. I mean, you know, to be honest with you, when I was a kid, I thought that by this time we'd have hoverboards and self-lacing sneakers. We kind of do have self-lacing sneakers, don't we? But we're in the same dark, oh my gosh, people need to start following the president because right now he has 666.6 million followers. We need to change that number like right quick. Um, uh, we need to, uh, sorry, that totally threw me off seeing it, um, update on my, uh, screen here. Cause like I told you, I have a lot of little square boxes of screens. We need to understand just how much is going on in the background that we don't see. Just how much talk and negotiations under the table are happening. These are monsters. Monsters. Now, I want to talk about Mexico. So now I know everyone's like really upset seeing all these people set on fire. I knew about this last night because a reporter friend of mine had that exclusive video only because, uh, you know, uh, these people are close in proximity to them as a reporter, you know, regionally. And I was, and I saw it and I thought to myself, all right, so these are people that are from North Dakota and Utah, right? They own land. They're Mormon, obviously. They have like a hundred kids, right? And they're down in Mexico. Farming or something. They just own land. So they were down there in the Chihuahua territory and they were shot up and set ablaze. Now, a lot of people are saying, you know, the cartel doesn't just attack you uh, for nothing. And, you know, it seems really weird that they would burn babies because those are high priced items for cartels. So um, they're saying that they were burned uh, alive, uh, shot up and then burned. Uh, could have been blackmail, could have been kidnapping. There's still people missing. Um, could it be territory? No. They've owned this land. They've been farming it for a while. So what could it be that is set off? The one thing that we do know is that the president is now paying attention. And uh, this is a big deal. I mean, this is a time where the United States now makes its argument as to why it's very important to have this wall, why it's very important to call people like Pelosi, Adam Schiff and Schumer that call these people good people. These people that are burning American citizens, innocent babies, six month old baby twins on fire, you guys, on fire. This needs to stop. And AMLO now has the ball in his court. He either accepts that invitation that we are willing to come and help him. I mean, we got al-Baghdadi. Cartels will be a piece of cake. Follow the money and it's done. But you know what the problem is? If we come in there to raid out the cartels and help Mexico, there's going to be a lot of Mexican politicians going out the door too. Because we already know from El Chapo that Nieto got paid $100 million. And, you know, I think this would be a great way to find out how much money these cartels have been paying to our senators, our congresspersons. That would be interesting to see how many of these cartels members have been funding border city mayors, city councils, governors, state reps, right? 
because all that should be coming to fruition. You know, and it's really funny how we're not checking out the railways, oh, you know, that are going through Beto territory right there in Texas, that big stretch of land that they own. This is where it comes down to. If you accept our help, it's going to be a real big gut. And this could be it. This could be that shift in the timeline to uh, take that course that you don't have to wait until they expose themselves during their fake impeachment, that we can actually maneuver it this way through Mexico. This will be very embarrassing for them. They're shipping companies, their lorry companies, their shipping containers, their railways, their cleaning companies, their import-export companies. That's what they call them when they're vague. We import and we export. All of those will be coming to the forefront a lot faster. And I see that the timeline has changed in regards to Yemen because Yemen's government to be recognized with a deal to stop the civil war that the Saudis brokered, that shouldn't have happened until like next year. Like the talks weren't going well. And the fact that they, you know, announced it means that they're closer to the final deal than, than ever. I mean, it's pretty much done, right? We know this. You don't tell your enemies what you're doing. You just get it done. So that tells me that things are speeding up and you have to wonder why they're speeding up. There must be some, opening to take the fast track because like I've said, I am one of the most impatient people there are. I want things done yesterday. I want things done as fast as possible all the time, but there's a time for patience. And this is the time for patience where you, you know, put that little, you know, shovel in the ground and grab the root of the weed to remove it. And that takes time and care and loosening the soil around it so that you can yank it out in one go without leaving a trace so it doesn't regrow. And this is where I'm seeing that these roots are being up, you know, wiggled around the dirt a lot faster than they they normally would. I would be expecting that, you know, mass arrest of politicians would be coming post 2020. Um, I wonder if Amy Klobuchar, I mean, we can't do anything on that in regards to her fake company because she's running for the seat of presidency. And this is her scapegoat of covering it up. Ooh, why are you investigating, you know, uh, an opponent? You know, they're using that, even though the thing about Biden is like so old and already out in the open. They're using that against the president as if, you know, he's doing it so that he can win as if, you know, Beto, as if Biden, as if Amy Klobuchar or any competition to our president. Like, this is crazy. Now, let's play the clip from uh, Fox earlier today where the president called war on the Mexican drug cartels. This is a big deal. Um, I think this is that ambush point. burned and shot in cold blood. No explanation from the State Department yet as to why this happened. Gunmen killing at least nine U.S. citizens living in a Mormon community just 70 miles south of the Arizona border. Neither Sonora nor Chihuahua currently on the State Department. No travel list. So you had three mothers in a convoy of three SUVs when their families came under fire. All belonged to a polygamous sect that broke off from the Mormon church years ago. There are about a dozen such colonies in Sonora and Chihuahua. Victims include Ronita LeBaron, whose car broke down, and four children, including twins, who burned to death in their car seats. 
Also, Christina and Duana Langford were found in a separate location, along with two children shot to death. Here is their grandfather who came upon the burned out vehicles. This is for the record. Nita and four of my grandchildren are burnt and shot up right on the road out of La Mora. Remaining children hid in the bushes. The oldest walked six hours to get help. Several men returned with guns, which are illegal in Mexico, and found a baby still in a car seat in a vehicle riddled with bullets and five wounded children bleeding in the weeds, according to relatives. We need help from our people. We are U.S. citizens. Every one of them have U.S. citizenship. Moments ago, President Trump tweeted this. A wonderful family and friends from Utah got caught between two vicious drug cartels who were shooting each other. And with the result being many great American people killed, including young children and some missing. If Mexico needs or requests help in cleaning out these monsters, the United States stands ready, willing and able to get involved and to do the job quickly and effectively. The great new president of Mexico has made this a big issue. But the cartels have become so large and powerful that you sometimes need an army to defeat an army. Surviving children say, Bill, that Ronita had gotten out of her broken down car and waved at the oncoming vehicle and was gunned down anyway. Senator Mike Lee moments ago said whether they were singled out or whether they happened to be in the wrong place, we don't know. Back to you. Okay, so they were like a polygamous, you know, Mormon with like a 100 kids, family, whatever. Whatever floats your boat, man. You want sister wives, you do you, right? Nobody cares. It's 2019, you know. God, let me tell you something. I just wanted to say this. I've said this before. I, I, I do not hide that I'm extremely religious. But I also believe that uh, God, our creator, you know, because that's where you see God in science, would never ever turn his way, his eyes away from a child. Now, many of us, and myself, I find myself many times when I pray every Sunday, uh, when I'll, I'll, I'll go to church or um, say my prayers and, you know, during the day or in the evening, uh, I, I struggle with it. I'm like, dude, like, do something. Like, I'm, I, I, you know, I feel like I'm doing good. Can, can I get some good back? And it's like really bad, right, saying that, that you're doing good, expecting good, but you expect good, not in the form of... um you know, uh, goods, but you expect good in the way of God sees you and he appreciates that you're doing his work. I know it sounds so selfish, right? But that's, that's, you know, I'm, I'm candid. So this is something, you know, we shouldn't judge them because they decided, because remember the prodigal son, right? Biggest arms that God had open for him. The largest arms were open for the son that had strayed. So he loves every single bit of his creation. He's like the one that says, look, you're going to make a bad choice. I'll be right here with you while you endure that bad choice. Or, you know, I just wanted to say no judgment. This, these were innocent lives uh, from, from, from the testimony of one of the children, their car broke down and they might've tried to extort them. That's what they do. You know, they like kidnap people and then they extort them. Uh, just like this, um, case of Darrell Dobson. He is a Vietnam purple heart vet from North Dakota guys in 2015. He has like a house in Mexico. Um, and obviously it's like super cold here. Like when you're old, of course you want to go somewhere warm and Mexico is cheap, right? So he has a house in Mexico and he was like in his condo house, whatever it is. And, <laughs> A cartel member high 
off their rocker, um, walks in and, you know, trespasses and starts attacking him and he defends himself. Now, CCTV footage shows that, you know, he murdered this cartel member, um, but it doesn't show the struggle or the attack of this high cartel member. This veteran is now in a jail in Mexicali, uh, sick, obviously old because he's a Vietnam Purple Heart vet, right? No one's doing anything to bring him home. Nobody can bring him any justice. He's not even going to get a fair trial because the cartels own the court. I am hoping, oh my God, it sounds so wrong, but sometimes, you know, when bad happens in the world, it happens for a reason to set off a trigger. And this is something that I discussed with a couple of reporters. You know, you, you know, I'm very selective on who I would work with and to make this story. And I know that the Darrell Dobson family has been trying to put a documentary. This is from 2015, you guys. And this guy uh, needs medical care. The conditions are bad. He's been reaching out. Um, he needs help. Uh, I am working on a story with this, uh, trying to give it some attention through whatever avenues I have. But I think this is the tipping point where we say no more. No more should we allow people that just take from you. And, you know, the cartels are no different than the Democrats. And I don't care what anybody says. The Democrats are worse than the cartel members. The cartel members are just so viciously, I would say they're, they're like new money. You guys know what I mean? You know that guy that just suddenly got like more money in their pocket and they're flaunting it? These are people with like new power. They're young, they're stupid, and they don't have any regard for life because that is how they were raised. That is how they feel that they are empowered. The Democrats are worse. They know they have power over you. They even laugh at you. Remember the clip? Oh, well, you have so much power, Hillary Clinton, and didn't use that power to become president. That's because good always triumphs over evil, regardless, regardless of how abandoned we feel. Because, geez, you guys, I feel it all the time, you know, and I've seen people hit harder. So I really can't complain. You know, those that are fighting the good fight. I can't complain. There's people that are in worse positions. But what we need to remember is that good always trumps evil. And maybe this is, you know, their little souls are going to be the ones that are going to change the story. Those little souls are going to help us gut the vicious cartel to remove the most vicious mafia, the most disgusting, nefarious, satanic, deeply embedded network of individuals within our nation to allow us to work in harmony. Now, again, I'm going to reiterate what I said yesterday. I'm not fond of the pre-crime program that Barr is piloting. You know how I feel about Barr. You know how I feel about his choices. But in his heart, he believes that he is doing good. But that is setting the foundation for things like, you know, those uh, future <laughs> futuristic minority deport things to come out. I understand this is like a subtle red flag law. Are you getting it? Without passing a law, we're implementing a program now, uh, which uh, doesn't take away our right to the Second Amendment, but, but gives them permission to canvas and see who would be dangerous or potential to be flipped or controlled to be flipped to cause harm. So that, you know, having said that, right, it may be a good thing uh, in retrospect, but I'm still not for it. Um, I prefer controlled chaos as opposed to uh, 
free chaos. Uh, free chaos allows for uh, both sides of a human's uh, aspect to come out. Remember, we do have that prodigal sin. We do have that temptation. Um, and it's up to us on to how we apply it. And this is why we see so much evil uh, rampant. You know, it, it, this this type of stuff that we see going on in Mexico, in the United States, the corruption, which, by the way, I'll close the show with this. The corruption that we see has been going on for centuries. But now is when, uh, you know, we're actually seeing something happen because again, so many of us are saying, how do these people who are public servants make so much money? Like it's incredible, right? So much money. But here's the thing. There's going to be an announcement um, in a few minutes after the end of the show by the Department of Justice announcing the formation of the Procurement Collusion Strike Force. That is going to be, you know, and I feel happy that I kind of contributed to that because there's been an uptick in the Justice Division actually finding bid rigging cases um, relating to government contracts. So this is a shell company that I've been talking about, about Amy Klobuchar. She's been really quiet lately, right? And city and state and federal officials uh, rigging contracts for their friends. We've seen a lot of them happen. And that uh, the DOJ like um, found guilty pleas from government contractors, including South Korean companies, uh, rigging bids to supply fuel to U.S. military bases. Like, you know, they're, they're, they're literally like under the table stuff. So now they're implementing this program where there will be a procurement collision strike force complaint form. So that means if you see in your city, in your state, or any federal agency giving contracts to a friend, uh, giving, uh, you know, implementing some new program because they're friends or what you see is a pattern happening. Guys, there's, it's going to be implemented. So this is like really a big deal because in 2006, it was attempted to do this that targeted U.S. military procurement fraud. Um, because of conflicts that happened in Afghanistan and Iraq, you know, with locals getting really comfortable. But nothing has happened in regards to here within the United States. And if you look at the Justice Department, you'll see lots of sentencing and guilty pleas from states, uh, from cities, um, you know, procuring and giving kickbacks. You know, this is really good stuff. So that announcement is coming up right after uh, my little jingle here. So on that note, guys, have yourself a wonderful evening from all of us here at Red State Talk Radio. God bless. And I'll see you all here tomorrow. Same time, same place for my anniversary. It's going to be one year at Red State. God bless everyone.